Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we speak with Annie Blazer, an Associate Professor of Religious Studies at William & Mary. As an anthropologist, her courses and scholarly work investigate relationships between religions and American culture, paying attention to race, class, gender, and sexuality. Professor Blazer's first book, Playing for God, Evangelical Women and the Unintended Consequences of Sports Ministry, is an ethnographic exploration of the religious experiences of Christian athletes in the U.S. Join us for this stimulating conversation. Let's get started. We're so excited to have Annie with us today. Annie, we're going to start by getting to know you a little bit. Can you share with us just a little bit about any connections between sport and your life? Yeah, so um, sports. I'm not really a sports fan. Uh, I'm not an athlete. Um, it's un- I, I had an unlikely path that brought me to studying sports and culture. Um, but a uh, quick anecdote, uh, I think when I was fourth grade, I got put on a softball team and um, nobody had noticed that I really could have used some glasses. So my eye-hand coordination was very bad. Uh, and I was often told to keep my eye on the ball, but that was an impossible thing for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so horrible that I was letting my team down constantly that it really like gave me a bad impression of oh. team sports and uh, team sports life. So that's sort of my early childhood memory of sports. Well, you know, baseball and softball are so difficult in that sense because you are kind of alone on an island, right? Up at the at the plate or, or pitching or whatever else and everyone's watching and the moments are so, you know, the action is so few and far between that. Uh, it can be very, very d- difficult for uh, for a many kids. A lot of pressure. It is. Kids that can't see. <laughs> a, a ton of pressure. Uh, gl- glasses help, right? But we don't always realize that to, with with fourth graders. So <laughs> that's interesting. So tell us a little bit then about uh, connections between you know religion or faith and your life. Yeah. So um, I grew up uh, in a Protestant community, but um, over time in college, uh, came to identify as an atheist. And I still identify that way. Um, And I am very interested in studying religious people um, because I think that faith and belief matter a lot um, in terms of the choices that we make and the relationships that we have and the communities that we belong to. Um, So I care very much um, to understand those um, relationships and communities. Um, And so my approach has been to be as empathetic as possible in understanding people's faith positions that are different than mine. Yeah. So Annie, this is the Sport Faith Life podcast. And uh, so people might be wondering right now if you've wandered into the wrong space. Uh, and I just want to assure you, you have not. Uh, that's fantastic that you're with us. We we definitely appreciate that. But uh, I think it's provocative enough for people to listen kind of going forward. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe off the beaten path? Help us get to know you a little bit. Yeah. So um, 
my sort of intellectual journey started as an English major where I just was very interested in novels. Um, and then when I wanted to get a PhD and become a professor, I didn't know what I wanted to study, but I thought that religion seemed like a good idea because I wanted to study stuff that really matters to people. Um, and so I ended up in grad school at UNC Chapel Hill and, um, I was really interested in just like theory of religion and, you know, sort of like meta philosophical approaches. Um, and at a certain point, my advisor was like, do you want to get a job in a religious studies program? And I was like, yes, I do. Uh, he's like, I think you need to start studying religion. Um, and I said, well, I'm going to study evangelicals. No one's going to tell me they're not religious. Uh, and so that's how I ended up thinking about American evangelicals. And then I wanted to study something that had to do with, with popular culture. I was really interested in how popular culture can be this sort of repository for um, uh, other things that matter, other things that we think about, like race, class, gender, sex and sexuality, like um, cultural background. And sports has all that stuff. So I ended up you know, hanging out with Christian athletes for several years, uh, which was, um, you know, if you would have told 20 year old me, that's what I was going to be doing when I was 30, I would have probably punched you. So <laughs> it was definitely an unlikely way for me to land um, where I did. Um, I guess some other stuff just, you know, to humanize me. Uh, I play bass guitar in a band. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I have a, a, a tiny dog named Banana. Um, <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that, yeah, I knew I liked you. You're a Tar Heel, as am I. Uh, that goes, uh, uh, that's a part of my history as well. I love my time in North Carolina as I look out at the snow right now. Uh, it's, a, it's a fabulous memory of, of sunshine and better springs and falls. Uh, and, and really, you kind of set the backdrop there for uh, for me to say, and, and uh, I think it's a fair statement, God has a sense of humor because you got sucked in, back into sport back into softball, back into religion. Uh, so tell us a little bit how uh, you got moving toward uh, actually the, the publishing of your first book. Yeah, so um, the, the book's based on my dissertation. So I did um, a couple of years of field work with different um, sports ministry organizations. So Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Athletes in Action. And then I spent a season with the Charlotte Lady Eagles, which is an um, evangelical soccer team in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so that I did that research in the mid, it's so weird to say this, actually, it's like, the, I want to say the mid 2000s, but it's like, you know, 2005, six, seven, haven't quite figured out academically how to say the mid 2000s yet and not have it be mm -hmm. the middle of the century. Um, so anyway, that's when I did that work. So it's, it's a little outdated at this point. Like I know there've been, um, changes in that community, um, but one thing that I wanted to do with that work was to tell the stories of the people that are participants in sports ministry. So not just the folks that are the leaders and are making the curriculum, but the folks that are participating and learning and experiencing it. So that was really a priority for me with that work. Um, and what I'm, how that has influenced what I'm doing now is I, um, I started teaching classes on religion and sports um, at, uh, at William & Mary, where I teach now. And um, the students love it. Like it's, you know, you get, a, a, you get your enrollment up in the, the first day of registration. Um, and but that, I didn't want that class to just be about like things I learned doing fieldwork. Um, so I really expanded it to think about um, 
other important issues in the U.S., um, capitalism, racism, gender inequality, like um, homophobia, like other things that we can think about when we think about the relationship between sports and American culture that has um, an impact on religious people. So I want to follow up a little bit on, on this, um, again, how, how you got into this. You know, I, I think Brian and I both um, understand your, your viewpoint of, you know, getting into the teaching of religion and sport, right? You put sport in the title of a course, and generally the enrollment goes up quick, especially for for, um, uh, for, for males who are, are maybe, you know, drawn to sport, um, you know, in a way that's more superficial, I suppose, um, and historically in greater numbers. So I understand you you getting into studying evangelicals. Hey, this is a this is a group that that uh, clearly cares about uh, their their faith. That's a group I should be studying anthropologically. There's a lot there, but yet why 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 sport? Yeah, I think I thought it would be fun. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I thought it would be fun, and it is fun. Watching sports is fun. Like I really enjoyed um, becoming a fan of these teams that I hung out with. Um, and they thought it was funny too, because I was, I was so not an athlete. Um, but I'd be like on the sidelines yelling out the plays that I saw them practice and practice. So like, you know, they, it was, it was, it was fun for me to be a fan. Um, and I wanted to do, I understood that field work could be like emotionally quite challenging. And I wanted to find an environment where I thought I could also enjoy myself. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the personal answer. And then the intellectual answer is that sport really matters. Um, in our culture, it matters a lot. Um, and it helps us think about other things that matter. So it's an embedded style of research. You get yourself in there, you get your hands dirty, you're talking to people, you're uh, doing a lot of interviews, I'm sure, just kind of hanging around. Uh, but at the same time, you go in and, and you are a part of the research project, right? Your personality, you're starting to connect with people and and as you do that, you know, you have to take uh, take stock in that. Where do I come from? And I guess I'm curious, as a person with, with some negative experiences in both sport and faith, right? So you, you've told us about, um, at least given us an idea that those are there. Uh, what did you expect to find? What, what did you go in anticipating that you would discover uh, that would confirm what you may have thought to be true? Yeah, I had two ideas that were both very wrong. <laughs> One was that these people would care a lot about my salvation and spend a lot of time trying to get me to come over to their side. It didn't happen. And the other thing I thought I would find, because I hung out with female athletes a lot, I thought that they would be like secret feminists, that they would be feminists and they just wouldn't know it. Um, that was also <laughs> not true. They're not feminists. So, <laughs> so I was just really wrong about my expectations. And so what I found is, you know, these people, these humans are human and they're complicated. They're just as complicated as I am. Um, and they care about their own salvation. That makes a lot of sense. And they also respect me because I respect them. So it was, um, I, I had relatively few conversations where I felt like, where I, where I became defensive about my own positions. And in general, we were able to have just really open exchanges about how all of us came to the beliefs that we hold. Well, you know, sport has been um, considered by, uh, so Jay Coakley, who is a, a, probably the most prominent sociologist of sport in the world, uh, you know, written this textbook that's on its like 29th edition. I mean, it's something, you know, just this unbelievable work that he's done. 
has a chapter on gender and sport in which he he says that that uh, modern sport perpetuates and even promotes uh, orthodox gender ideologies. And what he's saying by that is um, sport sees gender as binary. Uh, sport also perpetuates these antiquated notions of gender stereotypes and roles, uh, such that sport is male-dominated, male-centered, male-identified. Uh, in what ways were you stepping into this project uh, with with that sort of critical lens, and and how did that play out in terms of the the field work that you did, the experiences that you had? Yeah. So one thing I was interested in um, was sport. Uh, does rely on um, gender segregation and on conservative ideas about gender. And so does evangelical Christianity. So I was very interested in what would happen when I entered a world of evangelical women playing sport. Um, And one theory I had was that it might be a really effective closet if you were a lesbian and didn't want to be um, or didn't want anyone to know about it. Um, and I did find that that was the case, that, that, that it could function that way for some women. Um, and this is not unique to um, women in uh, evangelical sports settings. This is something that happened at the YMCA in the 19th century. Like you had um, men experimenting sexually with each other, but it was under the auspices of a Christian organization. So it was safer um, than other other avenues. So, um, so that was one thing that I think that I um, thought might happen if I looked at this intersection of two conservative gender worlds. And so, I guess I'm I'm interested for you to continue playing that out a little bit. You 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 tease that out probably in conversation, and um, and I'm wondering how much of that you would consider organizational and uh, in, in part of the system as opposed to individual. Can you, can you uh, maybe talk about uh, how you how you saw that come together? Because sport in and of itself, it has its organizational structures, it has its ways. Uh, and how much did you tie back to sport as opposed to the individual? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one thing that we see, especially when you get to the elite levels of sport, is um, submission to authority is rewarded over time. So like folks that are hard to coach don't make it at the elite levels. So um, coachability or submission to authority, that's part of success in sports. So by the time you get to an elite level, you're dealing with a group that's um, fairly interested in conforming um, in order to succeed. That's been, that's how they've succeeded in the past. So um, yeah. So then when it comes to um, gender transgressions, to be clear, when I was doing this work, um, you know, it was, it was still illegal to, to get married. If you were a gay person, um, we were still, I mean, in scholars and individuals were still thinking about gender and sexuality in pretty simplified ways are things have gotten a lot more complex over the past 10 years in terms of the vocabulary that we use and the, um, kinds of folks that we can now identify and talk about as different and distinct. Um, so at the moment that I was doing my research, I was really thinking about, lesbians, like one category of, um, of sexual uh, orientation. Um, and so uh, for that group, there's this really interesting thing going on because in some ways sports is a 
haven is a place where you can connect with other lesbians is a place where like it's 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 okay um to be out because um female athletes because cultural suspicion of female athletes already exists so you might as well um so it's it was a really interesting environment to think about secular sports but then you think about the christian sports world and it's not okay to be out um and but yet People that are involved in the Christian sports world are also involved in the secular sports world. So they're going to have contact without lesbians in a way that like an evangelical woman who's not an athlete would not. So there's this really interesting sort of crossover there where um, I found that the women that I studied had way more sympathy and empathy for um, women in same-sex relationships or who experience same-sex attraction than I expected to find um, because they were their friends and teammates. And there's something interesting about the the pull of sports, the culture that, that develops among teams, like you said, the teammates, you know, regardless of the structural elements of, of sport. So you say in, in your book that there are um, two facets of evangelical theology that come to the fore in sports ministry. And, and you talk about attention to the supernatural and attention to differences between men and women. Can you give us uh, a, a bit of an expanded summary of, of that, uh, especially for, for the listeners who are, who are super engaged in sports ministry and, and you brought up these social issues that are uh, unique and should be discussed, uh, even if they aren't maybe central to the work that sports ministry leaders are doing? Yeah. So one thing that really struck me a lot during my field work was this emphasis on marriage, an emphasis that um, it's God's plan for everyone to have a godly marriage. Um, and that and that was absolutely defined as between one man and one woman. So um, there was a sense that since marriage was essential to evangelical identity, that it was also really important to understand marriage roles um, and that these were there were roles that were different for men and for women. Um, and this is uh, this is not unique to sports ministry. This is part of sort of larger evangelical culture. Um, but I was. One thing that surprised me when I, I mean, and also, you know, sports ministry has been around since the 1950s and you see a lot of like, um, you start to see some literature appearing for coaches' wives, um, which is then just assumes that women aren't coaches, right? So, um, so like that, that literature starts to appear in the 1970s. That's about, you know, how to, how to navigate being a coach's wife. Um, and then, you know, over the course of the 90s, that starts to shift as there are more female coaches and sports ministry itself starts to think differently about um, women's roles in the sports world. Um, everyone does, not just sports ministry, uh, with, the, um, with Title IX actually being applied to sports and um, expansion of um, roles for women in sports. Um, so anyway, this emphasis on marriage um, really struck me as something that was incredibly important to the people I was hanging out with. Like this was their plan for their lives. Like if they weren't married, they were thinking about when they were going to get married, uh, who, they, how they were going to meet their future spouse. Um, you know, like, and it was, it was all like, this was like, it, it was really a foregone conclusion that this was a mile, a life milestone that they were all going to experience if they hadn't experienced it yet. And so like having that be built in to what you expect out of your life is going to make you quite concerned about gender roles um, and about uh, what, 
what kind of man and what kind of woman you should be in order to inhabit those roles. So, um, yeah, so I, I just remember like one um, Athletes in Action meeting that I was at where there was a, a guest pastor and he basically is said the second most important relationship in your life behind Jesus is your spouse. Um, and that's, and I was like, Oh, okay. And you know, he's talking to college students. They're not married yet. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're, a lot of them are engaged. Uh, so there's this sense that like, oh, okay, this is actually, this matters a lot. Cause this is how these people, this is a, a relationship that is going to be essential to this group of people. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering about just the, your subjects themselves, the, the folks that you had an opportunity to, um, really interact with and get to know. And I, I'm wondering too about what sport brings to their life. They have an opportunity to choose to go elsewhere. And uh, I guess I'm wondering why they chose to go this direction. Do they feel compelled to go this direction based on a certain talent? Did you see a, a joy in sport or was it more some of the things, the social aspects? What would you say um, you unearthed about why they were there? Yeah. I wouldn't want to generalize about everyone, but I would say what I saw for the most part was a real pleasure, a real pleasure in playing sport. And I, and I get that even though I, the thought of team competition makes me so uncomfortable <laughs> just because I don't want to let other people down. Like I also understand like there's a real pleasure in mastering something that you previously couldn't master. And that there's a real pleasure in like slipping into a sort of flow state and being able to accomplish something together. Like I really get that those are sincere pleasures um, and that, um, and that, that sport offers those pleasures to humans. And I think that's something that makes sport so enduring. Um, so I definitely saw that. Um, and then seeing that in an evangelical setting is, um, that those feelings of pleasure then become evidence that this is what God wants. Like this is pleasurable because God intended this to be pleasurable. So therefore playing sport is part of my uh, Christian journey and my Christian obligation. Um, so I think there, there was, that was really interesting to me to hear the way that those pleasures were narrated as religious pleasure. Um, even though those pleasures are experienced by secular athletes as well. Um, but they were narrated in this different way in a Christian setting. So I definitely saw that as a huge motivational factor. One thing that matters is since I studied women in sports, um, most of them had most of them really thought of their sports life as temporary. Um, they didn't think they were going to be, um, maybe they thought they would have some opportunity to do some coaching, um, but they didn't really think of their sports career as their life career. Um, and that's really different, I think, for men and women, because I think men have way more opportunities. There's just more jobs open to men. Um, and cause it, cause as we know, it's um, still quite common to have a male coach for a female, for a women's team, but it's much less common to have a, a female coach for a men's team. So, um, so there's just more opportunities there. Um, so most of them were, um, fully enjoying this moment of their life with the idea that it wouldn't last forever. There's something special about that moment when, uh, there's there's potentially more more constraints uh, in terms of the future, right? Than there there would possibly be for uh, for males within the the culture of sport. So I want to ask a little bit about um, the the individuals so as a group. I would say you know you're doing work, uh, and maybe this is me asking as an, an outsider among the three of us. I'm the only one that hasn't lived in North Carolina. 
you know, you, you're studying people in a, in a particular geographic region. Um, in, in what ways do you think we're able to generalize some of what you found to, uh, to a broader geography? Or uh, in what way should we be hesitant about, about broadening any, any of these findings? Yeah, it's a really great question. I tried to uh, get a, a diverse sample. Definitely the team in North Carolina was the group that I was with the longest and bonded with um, the most. But the members of that team were not local. They came from all over the country and the world. Um, there were a couple of members of the team from Brazil, actually. Um, and then the other field sites that I visited, I, tr I really tried to get to different places. So um, I went to a summer camp that Fellowship of Christian Athletes put on, and that was in the um, in the Northwest. That was in Oregon. And when I traveled with the Athletes in Action basketball team, that was an exhibition tour around the Northeast. And also the members of that team came from everywhere. Um, so I think that it's I think that one thing sports ministry has done really well is have a sort of consistent messaging that shows up in all of these places for all of these people. So even though those folks are coming from their own different geographic backgrounds, which really do matter in terms of um, regional assumptions about religiosity, um, when they encounter sports ministry, they get a pretty standard curriculum of um, what to what to expect. So I think we can sort of draw some general conclusions about sports ministry, even though there's going to be regional variation. So you uh, you alluded earlier to to just being interested in things that matter, right? And in this case, you have uh, Christianity or faith that matters, evangelical Christianity, and sport matters. Uh, and now in these these Christian organizations uh, that are doing sport ministry, they're not going away. Uh, it continues to move and thrive and, and evolve. And, and so I guess I'm wondering, uh, in terms of the athletes themselves, you go in and, and really, if you can see things going wrong, it would go wrong for the athletes, right? Um, so I wonder, what sort of advice do you give in terms of care for, in this case, young women, care for young women in a way that could, could really be helpful to these sport ministry leaders? Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. And sports ministers themselves are really interested in this question, you know, are really interested in um, how to how to shelter sports from some of the more unseemly aspects that um, that, you know, are threaded through our sporting lives. So I think one interesting experiment was upward basketball and this idea of um, not keeping score. Um, or rewarding sportsmanship instead of rewarding scoring baskets. I thought it was a really interesting experiment. Um, I think that <laughs> I, I call it an experiment because um, as anyone who has spent time with upper basketball folks know, is like the parents are in the stands keeping score. So it's like, even though the coach is like, you know, telling the kids that we're not keeping score, that, that somebody's keeping score. And um, part of that is that that's part of sports. Competition is part of sports. Sports determines winners and losers. It's part of sports. So it's, this is a disconnect that I saw with evangelicalism and sports that I still am so curious about because the message of evangelicalism is that salvation is available for everyone. That's the message. Um, but the message of sports is that some people are winners and some people are losers. 
And so those are really different messages. So when you try to combine those two worlds, you're go- it's going to be messy. It's going to be bumpy because they don't have the same um, underlying logic. So even this attempt to sort of, um, you know, universalize by not keeping score failed because somebody's still keeping score. So, um, so I, I don't have a good answer other than I think that I don't think that evangelicals are done with sports ever um, because there's so many um, uh, because there's the draw that I see is there's um, this uh, embodied pleasure that lends itself to narration as divine connection. And I totally get that. Um, There's also the overlapping um, gender ideologies, treating men and women as different. So both those things are very strong correlations between sport and evangelicalism. But then you have this like very deep disconnect about the the offer of universal salvation versus um, hierarchically organizing people. Um, So it's it's just that disconnect is not going away either. So that's going to be an interesting thing for me to pay attention to as evangelicals continue to grapple with it. Well, I'm feeling a little bit uh, shamed, Annie, as an upward basketball parent after <laughs> what you shared. That's that's absolutely the case. There are parents keeping score in the stands. There are kids trying to keep score as best as they can do with their limited math skills while they're playing. I ab- have absolutely uh, felt that experience that. And and it's interesting, too, you know, my first experience with it, you know, my son came home from a practice and said, you know, here's how I will get um, stars, stickers after games, it's for either being good on offense, being good on defense, or being Christ-like. And I thought, oh, that, that's really that's really interesting. That's certainly different from what I've experienced in the, in the past. And I see it as maybe um, a way of trying to, to connect that bridge that's, that just, uh, you know, intellectually, we can't seem to, to connect in the way you just articulated. And so it was, a, it was a fascinating experience for me. And, you know, Brian and I have explored a, a little bit what might be a way to connect those things, not in the way that, that you said it, but, uh, you know, sport matters, but it doesn't matter, right? Uh, winning, winning matters. And the thing that kids didn't like about upward basketball is that score wasn't kept because you want to know who wins and who loses, but then that necessarily creates losers in the event, like you said. And I, I wonder in your experiences back to your, to your field work, how did these organizations treat losers? I mean, how, how were, how were losers? Were they accepted? Were they treated the same way as winners? Was there, you know, it certainly feels like we prioritize, we focus on winners, we use them as the models. And if we're not saying be like Tim Tebow, we're, we're indirectly saying be like Tim Tebow. Yeah, I found that, for example, the basketball team that I travel with, um, basketball, you know, everyone was concerned with how much playing time they were getting, right? Um, so if you were getting a lot of playing time, that meant that you were playing well. Um, so if you weren't getting a lot of playing time, then that was sort of, it was another way of measuring um, your value. Um, so I I just remember like a, a player on the team, it was like the third game and she still hadn't gotten on the floor. And at the end, and the team won the game, but she was really, really sad after the game was over. And like, I saw her duck into a utility closet and I just went in after her and she was in there crying because she didn't feel like she mattered um, because she wasn't contributing to the team's win because she didn't play. So, um, and I think that that's like, that's also something that we have to, that folks that are interested in making sport a, um, a sort of inclusive and healthy environment for young people 
have to think about that. Um, they have to think about those consequences, those self-esteem consequences. Um, she loved basketball. Like she, she wanted to play. Um, the other, the coach had decided that the other members of the team were, were more likely to have the team win. So that's how they made their decisions. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't have a good solution for this stuff because uh, the pressures of sport are, I, what I see is that the pressures of sport tend to override these pressures of trying to make a healthy, playful um, athletic environment um, because those pressures are are so um, prevalent in our culture because everyone's aware of sport and everybody knows that sport is about competition and evaluation. Yeah, and I think the the direction you started to take that there is is where I'm sort of intrigued, and and maybe more from a from a personal standpoint, because in a couple of places this this idea of competition um, <clears throat> frightens you. Uh, I I don't want I don't want any part of that. Team competition scares you. So uh, some people um, prefer to think of sport as kind of a play acting. It it is a space where we go in and we play and we give it our all, and then we pull out. And there's another. Uh, I go back to being myself. I wonder, just from that playful element that you're talking about, where where in society do we find it, if not in sport? Where have you found it, if not in? Can tell us a little more about you. Yeah. So yeah, one place that I found it is in music. I think music is an amazing collaborative activity that doesn't determine your value at the end of it. <laughs> um, so I, I'm interested in collaborative activities that um, that have that same sense of pleasure, the pleasure of fitting in, the pleasure of standing out, um, the the pleasure of working with others, the pleasure like feeling something, feeling a sense of mastery. So I think music is an incredible opportunity to think about how we can. Um, um, how we can connect with each other in a non-competitive way. Um, I also like uh, I like team exhibition activities like dance, where um, you know you everybody performs. There's not an evaluation of performers; it's just a performance. Um, so then, there, so I think there's ways of collaborating physically that could be very rewarding that are not about that don't have to be about competition. Yeah, there's something about the competition of sport that has has made that makes sport popular and, and interesting, and that's a, a unique element of sport that we do necessarily create winners and losers, and that seems to be what people want, and yet that also seems to be uh, an inherent uh, drawback of the activity or an, an inherent um, a, a way of keeping sport from being more than than what it potentially is. Um, I, I appreciate you saying that. So for you as a um, someone who's done anthropology of sport, uh, who may not call herself a, a sports anthropologist. I, I, I don't know, but is this a, are, are you, are you retiring from that sub niche a uh, field or, or can we expect that there might be more work to come from you in this area of uh, intersecting uh, sport and evangelicalism? Yeah, I, uh, thanks for asking. I'm working on a new book. Um, and it's a, it's a broader take. So it's beyond, um, it's sort of like, uh, the work that I've done previously would be like one chapter in this broader book. Um, and it's called um, American Culture Through Religion and Sports. So taking on these various social issues that I see um, showing up. So like one thing I'm interested in, um, I'll just give you a couple of highlights. One thing I'm interested in is this controversy about whether we should pay um, student athletes. Um, and I wanted to, one, I haven't done this research yet, so I'm planning on doing it. But I wanted to look at um, uh 
denominational colleges that have really powerful sports teams and see if um, what their perspective is on paying college athletes and sort of compare those things. Um, one thing that I've been really interested in over the past year was um, various steroid and performance enhancing drug scandals um, and the, the sort of moral blanket that we put over sport, this moral expectation of athletes. But then there's also this other expectation that they should win, <laughs> that they should do anything they can to win. Um, and so then that sort of comes to a head with, um, with issues like doping and cheating. So I'm quite interested in that. Um, and then another thing I've been interested in is sort of like historically looking at how groups beyond Protestant Christians, how those groups have integrated sports into their life particularly looking at um, immigrant religious communities like Jews and Catholics in the 20th, in the 19th century, and then um, Muslims in the 20th century. So this is some things that I'm going to include in that project, which I'm still kind of at the beginning yet. So this, this is a plug for a book coming out like five years from now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds worth the wait. Uh, we can't wait to, to get our hands on that, that um, uh, the topics that you touched on just there uh, are fascinating. And uh the evangelical lens and through which you're, you know, sort of uh, directing this book is um, it's extremely worthwhile for us to, to um, all dive into those sorts of topics from a variety of different perspectives. And so I just want to thank you for doing that. I think you have a natural curiosity. Um, and I think that uh, clearly it's come out in your interest in sport as a person who, who has no desire to play, no desire to watch, and yet you just keep peeling the onion and, and getting a little bit deeper into it. It's it's going to eventually grab you. I'm sorry to tell you, Annie, it's going to eventually you're coming over to this side. <laughs> this is the kind of uh, tr this is the kind of thing that you expected in faith. But we think sport has a better chance of, you know, what you never know. So, well, I guess the I guess the the big reveal is that I'm actually a very competitive person, and you don't want to take me on Settlers of Catan because I am brutal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we we find that that just happens to be the place, right? So it just it's just interesting that people that that reject sport can be extremely competitive in other places of life, other areas of life. So I wanted to thank you very much for spending some time with us. I, I really appreciate this, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com. <laughs>